Hi, it's Pete Price. He's crazy, he's zany, he's funny, and he's coming to St. Helens, the Theatre Royal in August, with some mothers don't half have them. And it is Joe Pasquale. He's going to be playing the Michael Crawford character, and we're excited about it. Joe spoke to me the other day. Here's my podcast with Joe Pasquale, back working, and what a character. Liverpool Live. Right now, I'd like to say hello to a young man who's been working very hard today. He's driven home from Bootle. A boot. I keep saying Bootle. It's Butlins. How can you have... Butlins and Bootle. See, that's what happens when you're word blind. If you get a, but, a, a button stuck in your butt, stop talking crap and talk to Joe Pasquale. Hello, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Pete. It's late for you, isn't it? Oh, love? I hate getting old. Honest. To c- I've been saying, as soon as I said he's coming back from um, uh, Butlins, uh, I said Bootle early, and of course the words now stuck in my mind. I, I did that. Uh, yeah, I did that once, Joe, with a gag when I was about 23, and every time I do the gag, I still remember the wrong word. Isn't it ridiculous? <laughs> ridiculous. Joe, I've got to ask the first thing. After the pandemic, how easy was it for you to get back into doing what you do best, making people laugh? Oh, do you know what? It was really, really weird, Pete. It was, uh, it was, I wouldn't say it was hard. It was, uh, it was scary. I was so excited about doing it. Um, and what I was really lucky. I was given a chance to my first gig back was last year um, at London Palladium. Lee Mead, you know the lovely boy Lee Mead is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was doing a concert at, at the Palladium, and he said to me, "Do you fancy coming and doing a little bit?" I went, "Yeah, I'd love to." Palladium's, a, as you know, it's a wonderful theatre. It's yeah. the most famous in the whole world. It's a lovely theatre to be in, even though it's, it holds two thousand two hundred people. But it still feels very intimate when you're on there because it's just the way it's been designed. So he said, do you want to do it? So I went, yeah, because uh, this could be the last gig I ever do anyway. Let's see what happens. And when I, But the scary thing was, I thought, what, what happens if that bloke, and you know exactly what I mean by this, right, because that bloke that I am on stage isn't me all the time. It's part of my personality that, that, yeah. that allows me to, to, to be who I am when I'm out there, right? And it, shows, it lets me, you know, expose that part of my personality. But I thought, what? Well, he hasn't been here for the best part of two years. What happens if I get out there and I'm on my own? And you know exactly what I mean by that. What happens if that bloke inside my head doesn't turn up? And uh, then it'll just be me. And what am I going to do then? But when I got out there, the second I got out there, it was like putting the coat on again. And that, that sounds a really bit pretentious, this, but that man inside of my head turned up and he did it for me. I didn't have to worry about it. And every gig I've done since then, I've, I've relaxed on it again straight away and gone, this is it, this is yeah. here, He's, he turns up every single time. And I, I watched a documentary a little while ago that Jim Carrey did, and it's called Andy and Me. He did a, a film called uh, Man on the Moon, about him playing the part of Andy Kaufman, who was a big comic, you know, in the 80s in America. And he did this documentary, and one of the things he said, which really, really stuck with me, was what he wanted to be, you know, he was trying to imagine what he should do for an audience, and then he realised what the audience want from him, not just from him, from any comic, from any show they watch, they want to be free of concern for the amount of time that they're watching you, because their lives are so full of stuff that if they can leave that those problems behind for the amount of time you're watching them then that's that's our job done and so his attitude is and i've adopted this attitude is to go out there and be free of concern i want to be the man that is free of concern and give them that freedom as well and it's a really strange psychological thing that we go through sorry i haven't stopped talking for about two minutes there have i 
Oh, sorry, I'd just gone to the toilet. Are you still on? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no, it's really interesting, that joke, because I've asked every actor that I've spoken to, all the comics and the actors I've spoken to, about going back, and they've all said the same. Once they get out there, the magic appears back there, which is, it really is interesting. My boss, who owns this radio station, um, is a great uh, fan of musicians and uh, yeah. loves you as a magician. Um, how important is magic in your life? Well, um, to be honest, I, I, like, I love doing magic, but I can't really do it unless it's what they're called self-working, because I haven't got the patience to sit there for hours in front of a mirror saying, well, oh, can you see me hand there? Can you see it so it's tucked up there? Where's cool? No. And there's eye, there's eye lines and the one. No. Unless it's self-working, it's not for me. I love watching magic, but for me, I don't have the patience to learn it properly. I have to do all the crap stuff. How did you rate Cooper? I loved him. The thing was, I never met... You must have met Tommy Cooper, didn't you? I worked with him eight weeks in my life. Oh, I never met the man. Sadly, it was one of the, one of the losses of my life was not meeting Tommy Cooper. I thought he was an absolute genius, and you'll know this better than me if you worked with that amount of time. He was a great magician, but oh, he found yes. that he got better laughs and better response by doing it really badly. Well, it's a bit like Les... I've always said this, a bit like Les Dawson playing the piano badly. Yeah. It, it gets better laughs. But, yes, Tommy was a, a tremendous magician. When you had yeah. him on his own, he would show you some tricks, and they were, wow, you know, you used to take my breath away. Yeah, and as you said, Les was just a brilliant concert pianist. Yeah. But he never, you know, he never did yeah. that yeah. on stage. yeah. You and I have a lot in common. We've uh, known each other for a long time, but we had one love, and the love was Bob Monkhouse. And you were very close to him towards the end, which was amazing. Um, he was a remarkable man as a comic and as a human being, wasn't he? He was incredible. He took me under his wing when I first started, and I learned so much from him. He was a genius uh, on stage, and he was such a lovely, as you know, he was a, uh, one of the loveliest men, kindest men I'd ever met in my life. And there was no edge to him. There was no, there was no hidden agenda with him. He was the most open man I'd ever met in my life. I loved him. I genuinely loved the man. He was great. Right. You're coming to St. Helens to the Theatre yes. Royal, which is a great theatre. We talked about this a couple of years ago because it was on the cards to do some Mother's Day that happened, wasn't it? Yeah, um, we did it about four years ago, and then it was, gonna, it was really successful. It was going to come back again two years ago, as you know, and we got two weeks in the tournament was pulled for obvious reasons, and now we're back. And like, we start rehearsing on Monday again, and it's been like doing it from scratch. It's been two years since I did it. And I was like, that, oh, it should be a white piece of cake, pick up the script, and there you go. No, no, it's like starting from scratch, Pete. There's 128 <laughs> pages of dialogue. Oh! And, and I'm on 126 of them. It's like War and Peace. I pick it up and go, oh, my God, what have I got to do now? I've forgotten all of this. I've got to learn it. And it's a, it's a real uh, mind-blowing thing. It really is because it's not just the lines. Yeah. It's the physicality. Oh, yes, all. absolutely. You've got two scripts to learn. Uh, your choreography and also your lines. Were you flattered when you were asked to do this originally? Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, one of those um, uh, poison chalices. You go, this is a great job to do, but do I want to take this on? Because you're stepping in the, in the giant shoes of a giant, of a masterpiece, once again, of Michael Crawford. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided very early on, if we were going to do this, we couldn't do it as Michael Crawford. We couldn't do Michael's version of it yeah. because you can't sustain an impression for two hours and expect people to, to buy into the character. Because, you know, he could do all of that gear that yeah. Michael did. And if you watch Michael in anything he did, even after that, it was like he did Hello Dolly before that with Barbara Streisand. And for me, that's Frank Spencer with an American accent. 
know, it's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. And you realise it worked so well for him because I think there was... No, I've never met the man, yeah. but there was so much of, I think, Michael's own personality in the character, Frank, and that's what made it work. So he said, the only way we can do this to make it work is to put my personality into it and don't do a bad impression of Michael Crawford. So we started from scratch. We've got a whole new script. It's a brand new script. It's not one of those, you know, just... A lot of people put, it, like, a TV show on stage and they just do three or four episodes. Well, this isn't that. This is a whole, you know, work of art yeah. on, on rewriting Frank. Even though it's still set in 1974, uh, it's quite contemporary, the story, as well. He, he wants to go on the talent show, like Britain's Got Talent is what it's all about. And it's full of the physical stuff. We had, as one of the stunts is I fall down the whole block of stairs. There's like 20 stairs. I have to pull this down the flight of stairs. And we have a stunt man came in on the very first day to show me how to do it. All this technique, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And he said, I'll show you how to do it. And he'd been working on it a few hours before I got to the set. And he throws himself down the stairs. As he gets up, you can see a winching going, oh, like that. And I went, are you all right? He went, yeah, 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 I'm fine. He said, that's what you've got to do. I said, you hurt yourself? He went, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's all right, though. And he went, you'll be fine. I said, what do you mean? I'll be fine. You're a stunt man. You've done it once. I've got to do it 168 times. What do I do? He went, you just got to throw yourself down, really. And that's it. I literally throw myself down a flight of stairs every night. Very nice. Now, you come in to St. Helens in August. How long is the tour? Uh, we start next week, so um, that was about five, six months then, Pete. Yeah, it's incredible uh, to to get back on the road. And I think um, people really want to laugh now. That's what I've noticed doing gigs, as you must have done yourself. After the, the lockdown, all that, that period of time, people really want to enjoy themselves. When they come and see a show, they let themselves go more than they ever did now, and this is a show to do it in. What was it like in Butlins today? It, oh, oh, Pete... It's great to be back on the, on stage, and yeah, it was one of those '80s weekends. So it was all there, all these pop stars from the '80s there, Kim Wilde and uh, Buster Bloodless, all that lot. And so I do a Sunday lunchtime gig, and I think well, I always thought that you know lunchtime gigs isn't the best time for comedy. Well, how wrong can I be? I, it was just it was just great. I go there for do an hour, and it's just like the old days it used to be, and I, I just love it, mate. Have you coped through lockdown? Yeah, I did. I kept myself fit, Pete. That's what I did, because I think if you keep yourself physically fit, it was a mental attitude of everything, applying that to it. was fine for the first few weeks, and then you realise, oh, this is going to go on a lot longer than I anticipated it was going to be. So I found myself writing, you know, I write horror books as well, as you know now. So I finished a, a book, a second one called Tales of the Lockdown, Dead Knobs and Doomsticks. That went out last year. And it was a case of being busy, because uh, otherwise, it, it, without doing what we do, you know, I, you kept working all the way through, though, Pete, didn't you? But, you know, without going on stage, yeah, I'm just yeah. a bloke at home in his pants. Yeah. What am I doing here? You know, so I had to find something else to, to focus myself on, and thankfully I did. I've asked you this before, but I've got to ask you again. Why did you start writing horror books? Why, where did that come from? Well, when I was a kid, I was I got run over, over when I was 13, and it was quite a bit, I, I broke my femur right by my hip. I was off school for the best part of a year, and I was in plaster from my, literally from my toes up to my chest, because it was such a bad break right on the hip, and the only way they could keep it still. And I couldn't go upstairs to my bedroom, so I had to sleep for the best part of nine months on the settee. I've got, two, I've got a younger brother and two older sisters. My mum and dad would go to bed about half nine, ten o'clock. Everybody would be in bed, and I would lay on the settee. I was allowed to do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't watch telly. And, of course, in that time, in the 70s then, <laughs> all there was was three channels, and it used to go off about midnight. 
but between 10 and 12, there'd always be some dodgy horror film on. And I sat there, and I, I just think I, I got into horror uh, that way, uh, that, that it just it got just stuck in my head, all the old uh, Hammer films, and I just got so scared that uh, I got immune to it. And I thought, what, what, what really scares me? And so I have to push the boundaries on what really scares me. And that's what did it. It just forced me to write something that scares me, and, and that's what does it. I want to scare people with it. How do people react to your books? Uh, well, they, well, a lot of people think they're going to be a bit, you know, a bit childish, and they're not. They're really dark feet. You should get one. You don't, honestly, because if you're constipated, it's all short <laughs> stories. Get on the loo, right? It will free you up, I guarantee, mate. <laughs> you are. Joe, how did you start the zany bit, or have you always been a zany boy? No, I've always been what you call a zany boy. I don't, uh, you know, I've never really worried about, a lot of people take it seriously, the business, and I don't. I've never taken it seriously. It's always been a job. It's a job that I love, and it's always been, I thought, if, if it just becomes a job for me that I don't love, then I might as well just go and work on a building site for me. And so it's always been an adventure. Every single show's an adventure for me, and, and I just like to do stuff that makes me laugh, and that's what I do. I, I don't follow a form or a trend I've never been fashionable I've never been a fashionable comic uh, I've never been in fashion which means I've never been out of fashion because I'm just there <laughs> I've always been on peripherals of everything and I'm just there and I like being just there because there's no pressure in being just there no one gives a mind oh it's him again squeaky voice gong it's him again and that's it and I love that position that I'm in and it was more luck than judgement but I'm still here after all this time Tell me, looking back at your career, and you've had a phenomenal career, you've done some great stuff, some stupid, stupid stunts, which work really well. Is the one that you really love most? Yeah, I think, um, I think probably, oh, I don't know, there's so many that I've done, but, I don't, you, know, one of the, you know, one of the ones people remember most of all, obviously, is, um, is I'm a Celebrity. Do you know how long ago that was, Pete? No, go on, shock me. 18 years ago. What? 18 years ago, did I'm celebrity? What? You believe that? What? Yeah. yeah, and I actually think it was uh, it was um, jumping out of the plane. Then I've done a few you know, you know, jumps from a plane, parachute jumps since then, independently. Um, out of, you know, it's not just on the telly because I love it. I love being scared. That's why I write the horror stories as well. So I learned to fly on the back. I hated flying. Once I came back from that, I thought, I'm going to learn to fly. And I got a pilot's license, did a few parachute jumps. And I thought, yeah, I, I like getting scared. And what's amazing about it, have you ever done a parachute jump, Pete? No, I couldn't step out of a plane to save my life. Well, what's great about it, because I did it, tan each one I've done has been tandem, right? And you have a great big 15-stone bloke strapped to your back. <laughs> Australian it was, right? You'd love that, wouldn't you? Right? And I'm on the... I'm on the... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm on this plane, right? And they open the doors and they say, he's, he's on his knees behind you. Leave it. He's on his knees behind you, right? And you're sitting with your legs dangling out the plane. And he's saying, don't hold on to the side of the plane. Whatever you don't hold on. And he said, on the count of three, um, oh, we're going to go, okay? So, okay, fair enough then. And what you have to do, you have to make sure you breathe on the way down. Because you're doing like terminal velocity, which is about 125 miles an hour. And some people forget to breathe. <laughs> and so what they do, they pass out on the way down because they forget to hold their breath. So the best way of doing it is to scream as you go down. That way, if you're breathing out, you've got to breathe in again. Scream, breathe in, scream. So I said, don't worry about it. I'll be screaming like a five-year-old girl falling out of this. And, of course, you do. You, it says one, two, and before he gets to three, he puts...
Right, because a lot of people go, hold on to the side of the plane at three, so he goes at two. And you'll think he's going to go at three. No, he's going at two. And you roll out the plane, you're spinning and spinning, and then you realise that you're going through clouds, and it's all wet, and you're like, oh, no, it's going to be really wet now. Oh, no. And so a little bit of weed come out, but no one noticed because it's all wet anyway, right? And I'm screaming like a girl going down. And then you realise you're doing 125 miles an hour with a 15-stone Australian on my back. <laughs> if I hit the ground, right, at least I would have gone the way I wanted to go, you know. <laughs> Oh, Joe, you're funny. Joe, you're coming in August to yes, St. Helens on a wonderful, wonderful show. Some mothers don't have, have some mothers do have them. <laughs> oh, do you know, I think I'll go and lie down. I've had enough yes, already. Please. I've only you just started know. the show. Why should people come and see it? <clears throat> because we all need a laugh at the moment. We always, we've always needed a laugh, but now we need a laugh more than ever. And I think that's part of my job. That's what I've been put here for. It sounds a little bit pretentious again there, but this is what I can do. And so please, if you're stuck at home and you think, I need to get out and come and enjoy yourself, because we all need to find some sort of release now in this day and age that we live in. Come and, and I guarantee I guarantee you will laugh yourselves off at it. When, we, when, when was your last panto? Uh, I did Panto this year in Plymouth. I absolutely love Panto. It's one of the best best mediums of entertainment there is out there. I also think it's quite an important um, part of our culture, really, because it's the first time that kids get to see, um, you know, live yeah, yeah. interactive stage work. Yeah, yeah. All kids now have got their phones, they've got mobiles, they've got iPads, and they don't they don't interact with something live on, on, you know, on stage anymore. If you can get a theatre-goer as a child at five years old, you've got a theatre-goer all their life then. And I think it's important that they, that they uh, experience this type of entertainment. Joe... It's great to talk to you. You're a nice human being. I can't wait to come and see you in St. Helens. It's, uh, I, I can't wait to see you falling down the stairs if you last <laughs> however uh, many performances you're doing. Oh, my word. Thank it, you, Pete. Is it a big cast with you, Joe? Uh, there's half a dozen of us, basically, yeah. Yeah, we have a great cast. This is what's really good about it. The cast are all proper actors. You know, I'm, I'm this chancer. I'm a comic that does a bit of acting where we've got these proper actors and they make you raise your game. You know, it's like if you're on stage with people that are better than you, you have to rise to them. You know, we've got people like Susie Blake, Sarah Earnshaw. These are great actresses in the, in, in the business that we're in and you, you just have to work your socked off to match their skill and talent. Joe Pasquale, you're a lovely human being. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for your time, Pete. If you enjoyed that, why not subscribe? It's free of charge. It's Pete Price. Liverpool Live.